Thank you for joining I Am Possible, which is India's first Future Tech meets Sustainability podcast. And today I'm delighted and honored to have with me Mr. Walter Chris Marinu, who is an IT expert with 40 years of experience and is the founder and CEO of Tipalo, who's working on the theory digital brain with artificial nervous systems. So Walter, really appreciate you taking time and being part of the podcast. Why don't we start with a brief introduction on who you are? Yes, so my name is Walter Chris Mariano. Uh, I am a CEO and founder of Tipalo. Tipalo stands for time-based pattern logic. Uh, I have started writing my uh, theory mid-90s. Three years ago, there is a company called Xilinx, right, who was bought for 35 billion by AMD. And then uh, they are an FPGA specialist. FPGA stands for programmable chip, you know. And then, uh, as I mentioned, three years ago, uh, Xilinx brought a new chip on the market. This chip was a combination between programmable logic on the one side with very high capacity. And on the other hand, it contained a a special memory called HBM2. So this is the fastest and the highest with the highest uh, bandwidth available. And then they put them together one on top of the other. And so uh, we have it. And then uh, I, uh, I bought a board from Xilinx uh, and then I started to work, you know, so in order to implement the theory in the technology, what, uh, what are we going to do? Uh, what, uh, what are the levels here? So there are different levels of software in this implied. In our case, we had to start from scratch. Why? Because uh, we don't use conventional computers. Therefore, we don't have an operating system and therefore we don't have the applications. So we had to have start from scratch. This means we have different levels. The first level is uh, the hardware. So instead of processors, we have dedicated processor processing engines, which is not comparable with normal processors because normal processors they work in serial mode you know one after the other one after the other we work in parallel this works in parallel i will come back to this and then the second one is the operating system well the operating system in our case is actually a framework why because the framework consists of individual units and each unit is actually a neural net a special neural net called spiking neural nets which uh, uses only the neurons, uh, the active neurons. This also implies that the neurons do not, uh, are not active at the same time. <laughs> and then at the end, we have the software and uh, our software is actually the synapses between the neurons. We see neurons as uh, logical units, what we are doing. And then the next one is a little more complicated because we combine hardware with software. What does this even mean? Well, this means that uh, for us, the software is the synapses, but uh, the synapses can be added. New synapses can be added to the existing ones. And this means that uh, because our synapses are virtual means they don't exist, but they are only activated when needed. This implies that uh, 
hardware and software are uh, merged. So the software can create hardware, in this case, the virtual uh, synapses. And on the other hand, the software only processes synapses which are present. <laughs> I know it's a paradigm, but uh, once we get to understand this, it's uh, the only way to get to a digital brain. And the digital brain is actually what is our FPGA with the memory inside on the one hand and on the other hand, the software, which the software is actually the, as I mentioned before, the synapses. Now having more than one neural net, for example, a couple of thousands, <laughs> this implies that uh, each neural net will have to have its own processor, its own hardware, right? Which uh, processes the synapses. And then uh, connecting this to the outside world, like uh, uh, sensors, uh, cameras and uh, gyroscopes and whatever. And on the outgoing side, we have uh, server mo modules, which uh, simulate the legs of a, of a biological uh, being, right? And then uh, this combined all together, you see, we have finally, after a long way, the digital brain with the artificial nervous system consisting of neural nets connected to a certain body hardware with sensors, uh, sensors actors, and not to forget internal organs. In why? Because internal organs are also needed. Why is this? For example, let's take an animal or humans, whatever biological being we take, it's very simple, it acts alone. There is no one from outside, right? We are not a puppet. We have our own free will. Oh, okay. So what triggers our own free will? Our necessities, our bare necessities, our physical and mental necessities. And in this case, the bare necessities are, for example, our stomach. Or for a robot, this will imply his uh, rechargeable battery. It means, are you hungry? Go and find some food. And this is the reason why we need internal organs. The oh, human brain is so complex. The, the, the way it fires and wires or 70 billion odd neurons, 100 trillion synapses, what they do gives rise to our five senses. And five senses, not just the five senses. Uh, I mean, now all of these to model it onto a computer, the artificial intelligence started in 1960s and the compute power is not there. But now everything is falling together and we are taking these jigsaw puzzles of what we call intelligence and understanding it and kind of representing it onto a computer. Now, I'm sure, yes, it, this is a task which is only those really brave engineers are, are, you know, spending time with. Because I guess, you know, building a general purpose machine is A, the, the, the larger community looks at the ones who are working towards a general pur purpose machine, they either ridicule them or say that, oh, this is a complete waste of time. And, and, and there's, there's only those really passionate few who are vested in, in doing the impossible. And I guess, I mean, impossible is the state of mind. And I guess that's the reason I do this podcast. 
So yes, thank you for explaining it so beautifully. And I'm sure it's not like like you mentioned. I mean, you know, we humans, we, it's it's not just the brains. It's it's the the internal organs plus the environment, how we perceive all of that is responsible possibly for understanding intelligence and maybe emulating that or building it onto a machine. How did you think about this? You know, let's just go back. You know, give give us the background of this theory. How did you develop this, and what all? What are the ideas and you know inspiration that you have taken in to you know build this theory of yours? So I started with my own imagination, and what does this mean? I imagine myself is being somewhere. Doesn't mean where or when. And then I take a look at the reality. And the reality for me is an aquarium with fishes inside, you know, and whatever else. And then uh, I have also, I can look wherever I want. You know, I have a, a, an imaginary microscope where I can uh, zoom in and see everything. Uh, doesn't matter how small it is. And it doesn't touch me because it's only imaginary. And then I also have a, a time flow which I can uh, also like a like a video recorder, you know, where you can stop and then uh, move forward or uh, backwards. But I cannot uh, do something. I do not change this reality in the aquarium. This uh, uh, the if uh, if something happens, then I can uh, change something. No, this is forbidden. Just take a look and uh, rewind if you want and take a look closer and uh, zoom in and zoom out and do whatever you want, but don't change. The next thing is we put something else in the aquarium. This means we have a different landscape. I look at, for instance, at the sun inside, you know, and then zoom in and zoom out. And uh, uh, the immense heat cannot touch me because this is imaginary, right? So. Uh, this method of uh, research is amazing. It put my uh, my knowledge upside down. What I learned in school, everything you know. And then I saw, I saw that this is something different. Okay, now I try to explain it. How do you explain this? Well, I thought first of all. Let's look, what am I looking at? So what is an object with other, in other words? Then we say, what is an object? Well, an object is a, is a problem to define it. This it can be something small and something big and so on and so forth. And then I saw, oh, wait a second. We have a problem with our eyes and with our senses because we see only in, in uh, uh, an image with two dimensions. We can't see in three dimensions. We have two eyes, yes. And the eyes is, uh, can only help us, both eyes can only help us in this case uh, to see uh, if it's the, if something is beyond uh, the focus point or not. So, uh, so there is another point. Okay, so I started to write down my problems, you know, one after the other, one day after another, one month, one year after the other. And then I try to find some explanations. And then, uh, because I'm so passionate about ancient civilizations, you know, and uh, religion and so on, I thought, where can I find this? Because I did, couldn't find this. Okay, this is a very 
This is a process which takes a lot of time. This means I began this when being a teenager and it ended up today, but it's already not ended because uh, it's, it's an ongoing process, right? So let's go back to, uh, to being a teenager. So I read a lot of Asian culture, you know, Indian, Chinese, Japanese, and then uh, Indian, I saw that uh, there are, there is not only uh, what we in the, in Europe, in the in the Western world, called Buddhism. No, this is only a very small part. There is much more. Okay, let's have it. So I begin to study, you know, Mahabharata and Ramayana and Bhagavad Gita and uh, Ayurveda, and I practiced yoga and uh, a lot of things. And then uh, these small pieces came together, and then I saw. The solution was in uh, how the brain is working in uh, Ayurveda, you know, because Ayurveda says the mind is part of the body. This means it should be uh, work the same way like any other body part, organ, you know. Okay, so I saw the, the comparison. So the digestive system is practical, the, the template for the brain. Wow, I was astonished. Okay, I knew it instinctively that this is the uh, solution, but I couldn't know why. Anyway, and then I thought, how about something else? Uh, why do we think how we think? You know, I started to read David Hume, you know, a treatise on the, uh, on the uh, human nature. This is hard work, you know. Anyway, uh, now I saw that I'm not the only one who is questioning himself and, and questioning what is the world actually doing, you know? And then after a couple of other years, I, uh, I read the Sun Tzu, The Art of War, and then I saw it in my eyes because uh, as a developer, I, uh, I started young with, uh, I was 15 years old, you know, when I, uh, that started my first uh, computer language in 1976 in school, in high school. And then I said, uh, you know what? What he describes here, uh, his theory is actually a system of signals and people who are, with, uh, who are interacting with each other, the same like in a game, you know? And then I saw, okay, so, the brain is the same like game, not, not like any board game complex, but using the theory of uh, Sun Tzu, okay, now we can make a distinction. First, we have a landscape. So this means we have a space. And then second, we have a time flow. In our own brain, the brain emulates the time flow and emulates the space. You can see this in catatonic people, for example, right? Or uh, who don't move for whatever reasons. Anyway, and then uh, I saw, okay, and then what about the object? What is an object? Okay, what is a participant? How do we talk to each other, communication? And then it, uh, it, uh, it, was, it was much better. So I thought, let's take the aquarium and now build our own aquarium in our own mind with the knowledge that we have you know, continuously adapting and, and also uh, trying to 
explain it, never mind how hard it is. If you can't explain, you don't know it, right? <laughs> or you don't know it enough. And so, okay. So I was my biggest critic, you know, Walter, this is not that, okay. So at the end, I made a model and I said, okay, the brain emulates a space, a logical space. Why does it do this? Because it's a representation of what you see outside. But how is this representation evolving? And then I said, okay, let's take the babies and let's take the human, the, the kids and the teenager and the adults. How are we perceiving the world and how does that change our brain? And I said, okay, now I have it because uh, I was spending about eight years in a kindergarten, you know, <laughs> uh, teaching kids. And then I said, oh, now I know it. Okay, so what did I learn from this? And then I said, okay, now we have our model. So the model was first the space, and then we have the time flow, and then we have the objects communicating with each other. Okay, but there is something else, and this is the most amazing thing. An object is actually has a, has a has actually a, a very well defined organization. There are three levels. First, you have the basic component. Second, you have the the grouping together, and then you have at, at the end you have the network. Let's take a comparison. Chemistry is the best known. Why? In chemistry, you have the basic components, which are the atoms from the uh, peri periodical system of elements. And then they build molecules, which, which is the grouping. It doesn't matter if it's small or big molecules. And at the end, you have a network. And then the network consists of many groups. Static groups and dynamic groups. What is this? So, so static groups, it means that the connection is always there. And then you have the dynamics groups, which uh, trigger the others, you know, which is in charge of command and control, so to speak. Et voila. Here I had the, the complete uh, model in my brain. And then I said, wait a minute, this model is also in nature. If you take chemistry, you have it. And I explained it. If you take, go down, uh, further down in physics, it's the same. And if you go further up in biology, which is biology, which is the basic component, the cell. Okay. And what about the brain, which is the basic component? It's a specialized cell, but still a cell called neuron, which is doing the same thing, connecting with each other and so on. The only thing that is more uh, in addition to this is actually that uh, an, uh, a connection can be active or inactive. This depends. And this is the spiking neural net. And this is uh, how I came to build it, <sighs> long way. Uh, you know, spoke about how you you are leveraging the information of our ancient culture. And if you dug deep into, you know, various religions, including Mahabharata, Mahabharata and Bhagavad Gita, I'm sure there are, I mean, heaps of information over there. And, and you also mentioned about how you were leveraging, you know, philosophy through, you know, people such as David Hume, Sunzi. And I, I guess, you know, intelligence itself is so vast and broad, you know, I mean, A, we, we, we are kind of understanding the, 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 the language, the, the natural language processing, we, we understand the computer vision, we are understanding the visual and audio, all that. But there, there are things, how do you even model, like, happiness how do you model empathy and, and then then obviously the the you know consciousness you know even if we create an intelligent machine 
what is consciousness what and what's the role that it plays you know then there there this since you mentioned uh, physics and, and chemistry you know there's this field uh, called pan panpsychism where people say that uh, every atom is conscious and and the entire world is made out of nothing but atoms you know atoms it, it clunks up together and it becomes whatever i mean trees humans space star so yes i mean i'm sure it's a interesting and super super deep uh it'll take a long time to kind of you know i mean possibly understand what intelligence is and maybe model it onto a computer you explained the time that you spent and how you leveraging different culture uh, religion uh, the works of different philosophers and, and your own imagination into building this would you like to uh, run us through or make us understand about the framework what is it that your theory is all about and what is it that uh, you are uh, presenting with your digital brain with artificial nervous system theory uh, our framework is actually the basis of systems theory right so the systems theory uh is not as explicit as we are but uh, it it uh, says that uh, there is a space and then three dimensional space and then there is a time flow and there are objects inside which can combine and recombine to higher uh, objects uh this is the the framework and then what is intelligence after all well if you take intelligence intelligence needs a body right it has to be a living organism and not any living organism for example a a a one cell organism it has to be a multicellular organism and it has to have at least a brain and then you see ah so it is not that uh, not everything is intelligent and if you see and if this uh, organism encounters a problem you see it stands still and what happens then in its brain he is looking to the left to the right and then and what is he doing he's analyzing things and according to its knowledge if it's a, a genetic knowledge or accumulated knowledge it doesn't matter he then has to uh, uh, balance something namely his internal needs and the exter external stimuli and then what happens he has to take a decision now this decision and the result of this decision is what we call intelligence so what is intelligence is when we are looking at uh, something alive a multicellular organism with a brain which encounters a situation and then he makes a decision then we call it this is an act of intelligence or not in my opinion so the, on the other hand there are uh, for example what we humans are so interested in happiness well happiness uh, is what happiness is if we are in balance right uh, everything is okay we don't have to change anything you know just like in the advertising do you want to change something no everything is perfect so we are happy but this is just a moment in time this means we have no problems no situations no nothing well if this is happiness i'm sorry i have other <laughs> other uh terms of expressing myself of being happy 
but I guess this depends on other people. Regarding consciousness, there are a lot of theories. Uh, I also have the uh, agree with the, the theory that uh, the consciousness is a global workspace or the, the theater. I call it the living room, but it's the same thing, right? And the consciousness also assumes a certain organization and the organization is the same as the cell is the same as uh, so the consciousness is the same like a cell why because you have inputs something happens and then you have an output if the output is a synapsis for, for example for the neural uh, for the neuronal cell for the neuron or for something else there is no uh, fundamentally uh, difference it's the same thing so in computer, we would say input processing output, right? So the processing itself is the consciousness in this case, because if there is no time flow, if there is no comparison, if there is no situation, you don't have to do anything. So this is uh, uh, different. Now, modeling this, you uh, we develop the so-called 10 features of cognition. So what does it mean? How does a brain look like? Uh, in order to anthropomorphize it like, uh, like a human. So first of all, the brain, which is, uh, or let's go one step back before cognition. There are two big currents in AI today, the so-called data AI or old for alternative intelligence is when, you, uh, when people are uh, using mountains of data in order to do something. This is uh, not what I call intelligence. You don't need one million pictures to recognize a dog. And uh, a baby does not need a million images of his mother to recognize it. So I'm sorry. So, But why does it work anyway? So what are they doing? They're taking the data and they're aging the data to fit a certain pattern. That's why it's working. You know, just like the same thing, you go to a, a tailor and you want to make a, a tailor-made suit you have a lot of money, you say, do that. And then he comes, he measures you, and then he cuts the material, which is the software in this case, you know? And then uh, he says, okay, I will do it. And why does it fit you? Because it's tailor-made. So they arrange the data to fit the pattern. But then on the other hand, you have people who say, we have to have cognitive AI, cognitive cognition, like in humans, right? So, uh, and then there is another thing, what does it, what does this neuron so so what does the brain do uh, actually how, how what's the structure well it it depends on the evolution and there he comes we have two types of evolution you we have evolution of the of the body and implicitly of the brain prenatal means before birth and after birth you see uh, uh, this additional knowledge how is it acquired by having own experience, there is this means there is no external guy who is uh, uh, telling you in your, inside your brain what you have to do. No, you have to talk to me. That's why we talk to babies, and the babies are talking to their mother and parents and so on. And this is how the brain is doing so evolution. And this also implies, if we design a brain, we should give him the ability to do two things. First is a self-learned mechanism. You have, without this self-learned mechanism, you are dead and buried, or you're dead in the water, right? And on the other hand, even if I have the ability to learn something, I have to store this. And this is what we call SAM or self-associative memory. Now, every gyrus, 
you know, in this case has its own self or uh, uh, yeah, region of the brain, has its own self-learning mechanism and his own self-associated memory, which is something like, uh, let's say an embedded database. Second, you have specialties for each region of the brain, only there are a region of the brains which have no specialty. Why? Because this will be configured later. It depends on what you learn. For example, the hand. Do you know that the hand has its own brain region? You know why? Because we are using it so much, so much in almost everything. And this is the reason why it occupies a large amount of our brain. And then there is something else. How about we make a difference between physical and uh, logic uh, and mental abilities? The physical abilities are in the are in the cerebellum, means in the back. Did you know that the cerebellum has more than 67 billion neurons? Means three and a half more than the forebrain, the cerebrum. And the cerebrum is only for the uh, mental abilities. So this is also a thing which nobody thinks, of, thinks or cares about. So this is the reason why we said, okay, you know what? Every brain is only an internal organ. And this is the reason why you have to have a framework of body hardware consisting of sensor, actors, and internal organs. So coming back, consciousness, a living room or a theater, right? It's the same thing. Uh, happiness, this is only for a very small moment. This is when doing nothing because you don't have to do anything and everything, uh, all your needs are okay. But this is only for a very small time. If we think in larger periods of time, like in uh, Jainismus, you know, when, when they are talking in eons, for them, one unit of measurement is a couple of million years. Wow. But wait a second, people don't exist only for a couple of 100. Yes, I know, I know. So you see, uh, what it's important for us is for some something else or somebody else out there, uh, just a matter of uh, how long. <laughs> thank you, thank you. You, you. you went a little broad. So what I'm gonna do is try and possibly simplify it to my listeners. I mean, you, you said that embodied intelligence is needed for creating general purpose uh, yes. machines so possibly maybe a, a robots of, of sort because they need to perceive the world it's only once you perceive the world understand the world you become possibly then things uh, then you also mentioned that maybe intelligence is emergent in, in itself and, and you also compared it to uh, two uh, groups of uh, you know two approaches one is which is data heavy you are looking at uh, you know uh, gathering all the data and that's what's been happening with all the transformer models you know be gpt3 uh, opt175 uh, with uh, or everyone is looking at that direction where it's just you know you gather all the data pass it through and, and you know create a, 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 a some intelligence from there but then you are saying that there we humans do not need so much data we we learn very very soon so a cognitive agent which has uh, uh, in 
intelligence something like oz the only way to go, go build something like that is something which does not require so much a data and you say which has a self learning mechanism built a, a, into it so so talk to us a little bit more about, about that stay stay in the frameworks you know what is, you mentioned a, a couple of things what are the other frameworks according to you you think will be needed to create a general purpose uh, uh, intelligent machine as opposed to data ai we are doing cognitive ai It means we take the template of uh, the brain we extract the functionality of the biological logic contained in the brain and replicate it now there is uh, i know there is this kind uh, of war going on but there is no war actually because as uh, just imagine we have now software recognition right uh, for for uh, 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 for face recognition based on this very data ai and what happens now we have problems because this data ai is only for a certain template made it's not uh, valid for everyone as i mentioned before this suit only suits you because it's tailor made not for somebody else now we have it so the problems will occur and the the more we are using it for example in uh, mass transit or somewhere else you know to for uh, recognizing people for tracing people for whatever reasons uh, first there are too many mistakes errors which occur and second this is not healthy to do something like this you know and this also implies that we have to use intelligence together with wisdom so we have to think about when do we use something because otherwise you don't like it so combining intelligence with wisdom meaning thinking about uh, uh, what you are doing and uh, what is the outcome of you should also be included and this is what cognitive ai is doing it's thinking because we have embedded in our own behavior something very important it it's called we mimic other people the same with the face or uh, uh, babies are doing the same thing do what i do you know says the mother or the father and they're doing it but after a while if you are grown up you begin to think and it's very simple don't do to me what you don't like this is what we call feedback this feedback is not in, is included in the cognitive ai but is not included in anything else because they say remember rhetoric in ancient greece the human is the greatest thing that's what they want to keep you in the loop the human keep you in the loop well wish you good luck can you talk share details on who are your co-collaborators now we are uh, working with another company also here in uh, zurich and uh, they are a specialist in also vhdl and they uh, help us together with other companies uh, to to uh, to achieve this why is this so difficult let me give you one example uh, uh, interfacing with other things is very difficult because you have to create two things one you have to create a hardware interface and then second you have to create a so called logical interface or driver right and here we have problems how do you connect a camera is very simple no it's not simple because every hardware manufacturer of cameras have their own standard <laughs> uh, 
and you don't have a standard like the, and with, there is no standard in embedded right and then we uh, we need it actually uh, uh, for three big cases the first case is when it's embedded this means uh, the brain is directly embedded uh, into the body or edge ai if you want to call it then we have the second which is cloud ai but cloud ai has also two different things the first is automation means if you are an enterprise and you want to connect different uh, uh, devices with each other uh, and here you have OPC UA TSN, long, well, which is actually uh, just now defined. And there are not so many uh, people which adopt it. It's mainly in Europe and especially in Germany. So this is the automation part. And the other part is so-called telepresence, where the sensors and the actors are at the same IP, right? And you have to connect it. And then... Uh, this is another thing because, for example, if you take a, a, a camera and a, a voice, I mean sound, people usually uh, take MPEG standard, right? But MPEG is, uh, why do they do this? Because they encode this in, in order to have a much smaller amount which they have to transfer that. But this also, for real-time application, is a headache. Why? Because it's very simple our brain reacts within one millisecond or one microsecond. It depends where it's uh, connected to. And uh, just imagine uh, you have your camera and you have your microphone and I am here and uh, uh, the latency should be only one millisecond. This is uh, what 5G wants to do, right? <laughs> it depends on how much data I want to transfer. So this is another point. Uh, we have some difficulties with uh, converting this into so many standards. So we are looking now to other companies which uh, want to adopt this new standard, but uh, uh, it's not that easy, you know? So creating the brain, it's okay. Connecting the brain to a hardware, that's the difficult part. And not because of the hardware interface, but because of the software interface. And there is another thing, the, because we are in real time and the others are not, they don't uh, think about latency and things like this, you know? And this is the reason why uh, real time is uh, actually not so very well defined in these terms. Only OPC UA via TSN means time sensitive networks allows this and only for 100 megabit per second and only for, uh, 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 for special devices. And this is because the latency is different, you know, the latency is inside the brain, no problem. But if you take the sensors, you know the time needed and then going back, uh, and this is all connected via internet, you cannot control the latency of the internet, right? <laughs> this is the problem. And this is why we have to make uh, some adjustments and this uh, will take some time. So uh, we are also talking with other companies which uh, provide and uh, develop further the uh, the, this automation standard, OPC uh, UATSN, but this might take some time. So uh, we hope to to uh, to finish this connectivity between our brain and the body, but this might take some time. For the rest, for the body, it, for the brain itself, when the brain is ready, means the the the, the neural net itself 
the processor that's okay and then now we are working at the uh, at the grouping that's okay but connecting it with the other devices this is where we need help from other companies and uh, any help is welcome <laughs> Now with data AI, if you see there is, I mean, you know, some of the other application like GPT-3, the transformer base is already there. Then the OPT-175 by Meta is already there. Uh, and even DeepMind just released a framework called Gato, which is a multimodal, multitask, multi-embodiment, generalist uh, policy agent. When do we get to see cognitive uh, AI out there? I mean, because there this is... This may take some time because in our approach, this is a level three intelligence, right? J just take the GPT-3 or OpenAI, whatever. There is no brain. There is no mouth. There is no ear. There is no, uh, uh, inside the brain, there is, uh, you know, there are two different uh, brain regions. You know, Broca, uh, okay, uh, so, the point is one is for information uh, encoding and the other one is for information decoding uh, means uh, to speak. There is no such thing in the GPT-3. There is nothing. I'm sorry, so this is a computer application. What we are doing, we are not doing computer. We are doing a thinking machine. This is uh, different. Why? Because this is all logic and this requires a, a, a connectivity to a certain body. So to answer your question, this might take some time. However, uh, I, this is not uh, real time. We are not talking for, of real time here and we are not talking for, for time sensitive things. And these things can only be made for pleasure or work, whatever. But uh, uh, these GPT-3 models, you cannot put them uh, in a spaceship and go on the moon and say, now I tell you, you should do that. He can't do that. So uh, they are in a bubble, and this bubble is the is uh, the human society, which is okay. Use it. I also use it, but you are using it for a totally uh, another purpose as we do, you know. So this is very different. What's the roadmap for you know? Because you've built a theory. What what's the future? Uh, and regarding the technique for the first two for level one insects and level two autonomous pilots we uh, fpgas which you are using today it's okay but for the level three we have to make our own asics means chips and these chips because they also will be used in um, space application they have to be radiation hardened this implies that we will use the fdsoy technology for example from uh, gf or global foundries and uh, there is another thing. The brain does not need RAM memory, so volatile memory. It only needs persistent memory. This means we will uh, develop a brain which is as big as a CubeSat, which, has, uh, which is a, a, a small satellite, right? A Cube satellite. And this has uh, dimensions 10 by 10 by 10 centimeters. So in totally, you have 1,000 cubic centimeters. Similar with the human brain, which has 1,200 till 1,300. And then uh, we, our calculation are made that uh, it will not consume more than 100 watts, which is the equivalent of the human brain. For this, we already talk with uh, three different uh,
companies which are developing this uh, persistent memory. One is MRAM from Antaios, and then the second one is uh, from Ferroelectric uh, Company, which are doing this uh, Ferram one transistors. And then uh, the third one is from Cerfe Labs, which they are putting clouds of electrons from one molecule to another. They all they have explained this not entirely because this is something new, but there is okay. And the point is that you are using so ultra power low energy that this is the uh, something we can use and do this. So this is our roadmap. And then of course, uh, if we achieve this, this means that we can do in this case. Uh, we can reconfigure any brain we want because the software is what is a uh, virtual synapsis. And this means that uh, we are doing persistent memory plus processors plus FPGAs in one. We have only one type of chips, neural chips, ours. <laughs> Thank, thank, thank you, Walter, for taking time, being part of a show, sharing your insights, sharing your journey of building a cognitive AI, what it'll take, the roadmap, the challenges, uh, and the, uh, the approach which others are taking. Yes, I guess from me, uh, not a sub, like a very objective uh, overview of mine, yes, I think there are various teams around the world, I think, in the quest of creating uh, intelligent machines i don't know whether it would be the data ai or whether it would be a cognitive ai approach but yes i mean my heart says it should be a cognitive ai approach rather than a data ai driven because i guess if we are creating intelligent then the only way to get to an intelligent machine would be to kind of like reverse engineer or human brain so i hope that's the that's the case and i wish you and and your team the very best in the quest of building cognitive ai and to my listeners if you like what you see in here then please press the subscribe button and until next time see you guys bye bye thank you thank you very much